Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, we're going to read again the opening of this letter. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. I hope that we read it enough over the next couple of weeks that it gets into your, your heart and your, your veins and becomes a part of you. I hope this whole book becomes that way in our lives. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight we continue thinking upon this phrase, this introduction that Paul gives of himself, and in particular the phrase in which he says that he is or was called to be an apostle. Our outline has been three questions. What does it mean to be called? Uh, Question two, what is an apostle? And then question three, what bearing does the fact that Paul was called to be an apostle have on our lives um, 20 centuries later? And so this morning we tackled this word called and and we learned that Paul's calling to the apostleship was a, a special thing. Uh, Jesus Himself appeared to Paul and declared that He was to be an apostle. And from that very moment, an apostle He was. It was an effectual calling that, that turned Paul from being an ardent opponent of the gospel to becoming its chief spokesman. But that leads us to our second question. What is an apostle? What is this office that Paul was called to fill. And so I want to make three assertions as we seek to answer that question together. Number one, first, an apostle was one specially chosen to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus. An apostle was one especially chosen to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus. The word apostle In the Greek, apostolos literally means one sent out. One who is sent out. And the apostles were sent out. And they were sent out by Jesus Himself with a particular mission, namely to tell others that Jesus of Nazareth truly did rise from the dead. They had seen Him. They had met this resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. They were witnesses of His Resurrection. And so now they were to go and share that testimony to others. 
me show you this in two places, if I may. Let me ask you first to look with me at Acts 1. Acts 1. What I'm showing you is that an apostle was one especially chosen to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Now we're going to begin reading in Acts 1 verse 15. Acts 1 verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man bought a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akadama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. And so we've come to the place where the twelve disciples, who by the commissioning of Christ in Matthew 28, 16-20, became no longer disciples, though they would always be disciples, but now they are, have entered into the office of apostles. They were disciples primarily when Jesus was with them, sitting at His feet, learning from Him. But now they become primarily apostles, those now sent out by Him. But Judas was among them, and he's now dead. He fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures concerning him about how he would betray Christ for 30 pieces of silver. And so Peter is going to argue here it is time for his place to be taken. Verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us, what? A witness to his resurrection. And they put forward to Joseph called Bersabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. And so we see clearly here Matthias being brought into the office of apostleship, and the office of apostleship is described as being an office in which these men bear witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now, these men could do that because they were, well, they saw the risen Lord Jesus. They ate breakfast with Him by the water. They learned from Him even after He uh, had died and rose again. So they were qualified to bear witness to the resurrection. What about Paul, who was not with them when they ate and fellowshiped with the risen Lord Jesus? Well, he too became a witness of the risen Lord. In Acts 26, verse 16, Paul tells of his conversion, 
on the road to Damascus. And in verse 16 of Acts 26, he repeats for us what Jesus said to him on that day. Listen to what Jesus said to Paul on that day. He said, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to all the things in which you have seen me and to those things in which I will appear to you. In other words, Jesus is appointing Paul to bear witness to having seen the Lord Jesus both on the road to Damascus and then Jesus here seems to be promising him, by the way, you are going to see me again. And later we learn of Paul being taken up into that uh, third heaven in which he was given mysterious revelations, much of which we are never told of in the Scriptures. But it appears that Paul, not only here but later, saw the risen Lord Jesus and therefore he was numbered among the apostles as one personally appointed by Jesus to go and declare to others that Jesus was alive. Now we won't spend a great deal of time here, but there is a second assertion I want to make about apostles. It's one we've talked about before, but it is important. And that is that apostles were personally commissioned by Christ. Just as the, the British monarch who bestows knighthood must personally dub the squire, put the sword on the shoulder and say, Sir, so-and-so. And then the person arises a knight. Well, so also the office of apostleship was one that could only be granted by Christ Himself. For 11 of them, it was in Matthew 28. For Matthias, it was on that day of casting lots, though Jesus was not in person present there. He had been in person present earlier when Matthias was among the number who was following Christ. And then it was Jesus who appeared to Paul and commissioned him. So we see that apostles were those called to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus. They were personally appointed by him. And now third, and perhaps most importantly, the apostles were prepared and appointed by Christ to be the foundational spokesman of His truth. They were prepared and appointed by Christ to be the foundational spokesman of His truth. Jesus spent three years with His disciples teaching them. And then He said to them in John 14, 26, listen to this, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus promises that after He's gone, the Holy Spirit will be sent to them to bring to their minds everything that Jesus taught them while He walked with them on the earth. Why would Jesus want to do that? Why does He want to bring to their mind all that had been shared over those years? And the answer is, so that they could then communicate and teach those very same truths to others. Isn't that what the Great Commission says? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you? In John 15, 26 and 27, Jesus says this. Listen carefully. But when the Helper comes, it's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. 
and you also will bear witness about me because you have been with me from the beginning. And so we see this promise of Jesus that that we see fulfilled in the book of Acts, that, that Jesus has the witness of the Holy Spirit and He has the witness of the apostles. In the book of Acts, we find the apostles through their preaching bearing witness to Christ. And as they preach the gospel and bear witness to Christ, the Holy Spirit works through their message and bears witness of the risen Lord Jesus directly to the hearts of men and women so that thousands upon thousands in the book of Acts are saved. These apostles were the original spokesmen of the church, speaking for the church, but primarily speaking to the church as ambassadors of Christ, representing Him and giving His teaching. These apostles would continue to receive revelation from God beyond that which Christ shared with them over those three years together. Even after Jesus was exalted into heaven, they continued to receive from Him new revelation to be shared with the church. And we know this, for example, because of John 16, 12-13. Listen to what Jesus said to His disciples there. He said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority. Whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. In other words, the body of truth that the apostles were to know and to proclaim was not yet fully revealed when Christ ascended into heaven. It was only during those first years of the Christian church that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, continued to reveal truth to the apostles, truth that they then taught to God's people. This is why the apostolic teaching is so important. It is the teaching of Jesus. We've talked about this before. If you want to have the words of Jesus in red in your Bible, you need to have every word in red. (laughs) Because ultimately, whether it's the apostles or the prophets, they all spoke for Jesus. They were vessels. Now the message of the apostles has been preserved for us in writing. 27 books in all. Jesus told those disciples, He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. And so during their lifetimes, everything that the Christian church needed to know was revealed to the apostles and it was written down so that now we have a complete Bible, 66 books in all, and it is a sufficient foundation for our lives as Christians and for the Christian church. Understanding from passages like Ephesians 2.20 that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and understanding that foundations do not go on and on but rather exist at the beginning of something in order to support it and understanding that the apostles were to be eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus personally appointed by Him Should we expect there to be apostles today? And my answer is, I don't think so. I think that they were foundational. I think that's Paul's argument in Ephesians 2.20. That their ministry was a foundational ministry. And it is my conviction that the church of Christ is certainly no longer in its foundational stages. Indeed, I believe that the building of Christ's kingdom is near its end. 
not its beginning. Believe Jesus will return soon to gather his completed bride to himself. The work of the apostles in setting down the message of Christ is finished. The witness to the resurrection of Jesus is no longer eyewitness accounts by living people, but eyewitness accounts recorded for us in the Scriptures. And so it is my opinion that the office of apostle is an office that no longer exists today. And it does frighten me a little when men would take it upon themselves to declare themselves apostles. When you understand that apostles were men who claimed to speak the very words of Jesus. When a man claims to be an apostle, he's claiming an authority. It's, it's basically what the Catholic Church claims for the Pope. An infallibility. An authority that is beyond question. And so I don't believe that that office continues today. Now, what bearing does Paul's apostolic calling, the fact that he was called to this office, have on our lives? So what, right? Why does the fact that Paul was called to be an apostle, why is that here in this opening verse, why is that important to us? Why, why do we need to know that right here at the very beginning of this, the greatest letter ever written? And it's all about authority. Paul tells us that he is a called apostle because he wants us to understand that though this letter comes from him, it does not come mainly from him. This letter comes from Christ. When Paul introduces himself, he introduces himself first as a servant of Christ Jesus. It's as if he introduces himself not mainly by by who he is, but by whose he is whom he belongs to. He wants us to understand that this letter is not being written merely out of the will of the Apostle Paul, but rather he is serving Christ and that this letter is a part of his service to Christ, that ultimately this letter comes by the will of Christ. Therefore, it is authoritative. If it came from the mind and the heart of the Apostle Paul alone, we would not be bound to this. It would not be infallible. It would not be a sufficient foundation and guide for your life. But if it comes not primarily from the Apostle Paul, but from Jesus through the Apostle Paul, that's totally different. Because then it means that as we study this letter over the next months and years, we do not stand over it, looking at it as if it is merely a work of men, picking and choosing what we like or don't like, picking or choosing what commands we want to obey or not obey, picking or choosing what doctrines we we have an affinity for and want to believe and which doctrines we we don't want to believe. We, We cannot approach this book this way. If it's truly from Jesus, then we must humble ourselves like little children and sit at His feet and trust Him and ask Him to teach us and then believe and obey what He says. One of my commentaries on... um, The book of Romans is by a man named Douglas Moo, and he says this, Any reading of this great theological treatise that ignores this claim to authority will fail to come to grips with the ultimate purpose of its writing. I think he's right. I think we must approach this letter as we would any other portion of God's Word 
with a humble reverence and a willingness to believe and obey all it teaches. Now let me ask you this question. Are you thankful for Paul's apostleship? Nobody's ever even asked you that before. Are you thankful that this man 2,000 years ago was made an apostle? And do you understand that God did that to Paul for your good, ultimately for your salvation? He did. And any person who loves the Bible, any person who treasures its message should thank God for Paul and the other apostles and all those that God used in the writing of the Scriptures. Without Paul's apostleship, we would not have the great explanation of the Gospel in Romans 3 or the precious promises of Romans 8. Romans 8. Have you ever been touched and taught by reading the love chapter? 1 Corinthians 13. It's a gift to us from Christ through the Apostle Paul. The descriptions of Jesus, the majestic descriptions of Christ that we find in in Colossians 1 and Philippians 2. So many scriptures that are precious to our souls come because of the gift to us of this man's apostleship. So it's not an irrelevant fact in the far-off past. It is a gift to Christ's church of all generations, including our own. Now, the time we have left, I want us to think for just a few minutes about what Paul says next. We've been talking all day about Paul as one called to be an apostle. I want to say just a few words about what he says next. Namely, that he was set apart for the gospel. Set apart for the gospel. One of the great themes of literature and drama, even Hollywood movies, is that of destiny. People often become engrossed in stories about characters discovering their destiny and fulfilling their destiny, finding out that there's something great in their future and then rising to that. There's something about a divine design for each of our lives that rings true in the hearts of many. Perhaps we've asked, why was I born in the place that I was out of all the places on the earth? Why was I born in this time of history and not in a preceding century or a later century? Why was I born into my particular family as opposed to all the other families of the earth? Why do I look the way I do? Why do I have the unique set of characteristics and talents and abilities that I do? And questions like these remind us that many of the most important aspects of our lives were determined for us before we were ever born or had any say at all. Now those who do not believe in God can only give one answer to these questions. Sheer happenstance. It's all chance that I am who I am, living when I do, with the family that I was born into, and the century that I live in, and the place where I live, with the way that I look, and the abilities that I have, it's all random chance. For those who believe in God, we believe that there is a divine purpose in this. That it was God who chose where we'd be born 
and in what generation. He, he fashioned us in our mother's wombs. He gave us our unique set of characteristics and talents. And we believe that He did this in each one of us because He, have a, he has a sovereign purpose that He is fulfilling in our lives. We each have a, a preordained role to play in His story. This is what the psalmist is contemplating in passages like Psalm 139.16 when he says to God, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. In other words, God, you had already written down in your book when I was an unformed substance, when I did not even exist, was not a gleam in my father's eye, before I was, you already had written in your book every one of my days and the part that I would play in your grand scheme of history. You see, when we come to the Bible, we find that this theme of destiny is a very real theme, something that is true, not just on the Hollywood screen, but in real life. Now, there have been very few men who had a destiny quite like the Apostle Paul. His was a very special destiny. He was chosen by God to be a premier servant of the gospel. And Paul tells us in Galatians 1.15 that his destiny was fixed before he was ever born. He was set apart before he was born to be an apostle Yet Paul knew nothing of this. Though God had this plan, though God had already set apart Paul and said, this is who he's going to be, and this is what I'm going to accomplish through him, none of that was known to Paul until the day Christ met him on the Damascus Road. Then he discovered the grand purpose of his life, that he had been set apart for the gospel of God, the greatest message in the world, to herald it, to explain it, to defend it. A quick reading of of just the first chapter of Romans reveals how deep Paul's affection for this gospel that he was set apart from before he was born to proclaim. This was his destiny to proclaim this message. And so this message became everything to him. He he loved it. In verse 1, he's set apart for it. In verse 9 of chapter 1, he serves God through it. In verse 15 of chapter 1, he's eager to preach it. In verse 16 of chapter 1, he's not ashamed of it because he knows its power. In other places, 2 Corinthians 11, 24-29, he talks about all that he suffered for the sake of this message, the Gospel. In Galatians 6, 17, he points out that he bore on his body the marks of his service to the Gospel. Now the Gospel that Paul preached had its roots in the Old Testament Scriptures. Paul tells us in Galatians 3.8 that God preached the Gospel to Abraham. And the Gospel has its center in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, 2-4, Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according, in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And so this message 
was of first importance. This was the gospel that Paul proclaimed. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, all for our salvation. 1 Corinthians 1.17, we learned that as he preached the gospel, he did not do so with eloquent words of wisdom, lest Christ be emptied of his power, the Christ of the cross. Through this message that he preached, human eyes would be opened to behold the glory of Christ and the divine call would echo through his preaching and it would bring to God all those chosen by him. To those blinded by Satan, 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4, the gospel would remain a message of foolishness and a stumbling block. Now Paul was unique in his calling as an apostle. And that he saw himself, he regarded himself, and rightly so, as the apostle to the Gentiles. The Jews had the other twelve preaching to them. And yet Paul was called first to take that first step and be known as the premier apostle, taking the gospel to those who were not Jews. He, he would openly teach, even in, in verse 16 of this chapter, that the gospel is for the Jew first. But Paul asserted that a divinely ordained season of Jewish rejection of the gospel had begun and that Gentile acceptance of the message had begun. And so he understood his ministry in terms of getting this message, the gospel, from Jerusalem into the uttermost parts of the earth, the numerous regions of the Roman Empire and beyond. Christ was everything to Paul. And the gospel message of Jesus was was the message he lived to declare. It was in the gospel that Paul beheld the Savior he loved. It was in the gospel that he shared his Savior with others. Now that was Paul's destiny. To be a herald of the gospel. Apostle to the Gentiles. What about us? What is our destiny? Did God set us apart before we were born for any great purpose? Well, according to Paul's teaching and elsewhere in Scripture, yes, you and I as Christians have a wonderful destiny that we were set apart for before we were born. According to the Ephesians chapter 1, we are those whom God has chosen in Christ for the foundation of the world. We have been predestined to the adoption of sons which means we are not God's children by accident. We are not God's children by happenstance. In fact, in Ephesians 2.10, we learn that God has saved us in order that we might accomplish those good deeds which He has purposed beforehand for our lives. Later passages speak of the various spiritual gifts which God gives His children they may fulfill particular roles that He has laid out for them in the church. So what is God's appointed destiny for us? What have we been set apart for? I think we could sum it up this way. If we are truly God's, then our destiny is one of increasing holiness, increasing love, and increasing witness. 
Increasing holiness. Increasing love. Increasing witness. We have not been set apart as apostles, but we have been set apart as Christians. And God has given us numerous exhortations to grow in purity, to grow in love, and to grow in our usefulness to Him. And as we live out our lives of increasing faith and obedience, we will fulfill these destinies. For it is God who works in you both to fulfill, both to work and to will for His good pleasure. That you would be conformed to the image of Jesus is the destiny that you have been set apart for. That your very existence in holiness would bring pleasure to the heart of God and glorify Him forever is the destiny that you have been set apart for. Eternal joy for you. Eternal glory for God. So as we close tonight, I would like to ask you whether or not you are living in thankfulness to God because He has set you apart for His family. If you are a Christian, you can say that. He set Paul apart for your good so that the gospel would reach Gentiles like us. And he set us apart for salvation. And if we are true Christians, we can be sure that this is God's will for us, that we would be conformed to the image of Christ and ultimately he will accomplish his will in us. It is not as though here's a destiny for us and we're going to do all we can to meet and fulfill that destiny, but we might fall short. It's not like that at all. It's a guaranteed thing. He who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So are you thankful that your life has a purpose? The best of purposes. Are you thankful that the destiny God has for His children is a destiny in which we have been set apart to be blessed beyond anything we certainly could deserve or ever even imagine? As God's people, as we grow in Christ, we should be growing in our grasp of the mercy God has shown and is showing to us. And therefore, gratitude ought to characterize our lives. Gratitude for the apostles, gratitude for the Bible, gratitude for the Spirit, gratitude for Christ and His salvation for us, and gratitude for the destiny that is before us of eternal life in heaven. Gratitude for God's calling on our lives and the way that He is working through us for His glory and our good. And so as I think about Paul being set apart and us being set apart, I would say this. Tonight, your life is not characterized by thankfulness. And you're a Christian. I would plead with you to repent and to ask that God would continually bring His blessings to you to your mind so that your heart would be filled with thankfulness and so that you might be a better and more joyful witness to others. Now, if you're not a Christian, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can have confidence that this destiny is for you as well. Are there any questions about things that were preached uh, this morning and this evening? 
So we've talked about Paul and his call to the apostleship. And as we've talked about the fact that he was set apart from before he was born to declare the gospel. Any questions?